Good morning. We're going to open up... Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Um, we're going to open up God's Word now. So if you'd like to get your devices or your Bible and look up Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, one of my favourite passages. It's Ephesians. Oh, it's on the screen too. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armour of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic forces of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armour of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armour on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray this morning that you would give us soft hearts, willing to hear your word, be challenged by your word and respond to your word. Um, We thank you for the insight you provide to us and Father, we pray that we might be equipped as we continue to endure the battle in which we're in. Amen. Well, folks, today I um, want to preach from Ephesians chapter 6 and I want to um, open your eyes and my eyes to the reality of what is happening in the world and happening in your hearts. Um, let me begin like this. Uh, if you've ever been to Hawaii, anyone here ever been to Hawaii? Not in the last 12 months, but um, a couple of people sitting on this side. Larissa, come on this side of the room. That's where they are. No, it's okay. You might recognise this as a picture of Pearl Harbour today. Um, Today it is peaceful, it is calm, it is safe. But on 8am Sunday, 7th of December 1941, the Japanese began a surprise attack at Pearl Harbour. People at Pearl Harbour at that time were sitting down to breakfast. They were preparing to go to church. They were living, they thought, in peace. And all of a sudden, the peaceful kind of picture that we see up on the screen was transformed in an instant to be like this. 
Half of the American fleet was at Pearl Harbor and destroyed. They were sitting ducks as the Japanese managed to achieve maximum strategic surprise. The United States didn't even know that they were at war. But here's the thing. They learnt. They took the opportunity to increase their efforts to understand the current reality. They invested deeply in understanding the current reality. And they began to plan and they looked into the future and they reacted and they won the war. Today, folks, we're coming to this uh, third in this series and last words, um, which is both my last words as the lead pastor of this church and also what I've done, I've picked up on the different the last words in different chapters of God's word. We're coming to Ephesians chapter 6. It's a text that begins with the word finally. Here we see Paul's concern for the Ephesians. And friends, and, and from the Colin I, the reality with moving on Tuesday this week and farewells and so on, for us the reality of moving is starting to really, starting to settle in. Um, and so, folks, here in these words are also some of my concern for you. The exhortation is this. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. The people of the faith of so many people over the years who have been sitting in these seats, or pews as they once were, has been transformed um, to have their faith has been transformed from powering on to being destroyed. It's been one of my greatest pains over the years. And so today what I want to do is speak particularly individually to each of you, if I can do that. You'll see how I plan to do that. And my plea to you is, please open your eyes and realise, if you love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, how it is that the evil one is trying to attack and undermine you. The passage tells Christians, firstly, that we are involved in a war. Verse 11, it says, Put on the full armour of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. At stake is your salvation. At stake is the eternal life that, that you have in Jesus. And let me just take a moment to remind you what Jesus has done. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 2. There, there, there's a long description about what Jesus has done and the impact of what he has done. And very simply, what he's done, he's died on the cross and he's risen from the dead while we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Christ died for you. He reconciles us to God and he reconciles us to each other. Everything is transformed. That's what Jesus has done. 
And Ephesians chapter 6, it opens our eyes to this reality from this point in time, even from when Jesus was raised from the dead, right until the time when Jesus returns, the reality that is being unveiled for us is we are involved in a war. The enemy in this war is the devil. And what we're going to see is the, the privilege... It is one thing to know that we are involved in a war. And yet it's another thing to have intelligence about, firstly, exactly what's going on, and then secondly, the strategies to adopt to overcome what's going on. We don't need to deploy assets and resources to undergo intelligence like the Americans did. We need to read and we need to understand and we need to take to heart and we need to take action understanding what God tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. And what he tells us in verse 12 is, our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of his darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. The action that is being spoken about here, it is action in the heavenly realms. And some of you know my way of trying to um, help us understand what that means is, um, I'm very thankful. It's, it's genuinely a coincidence that today I'm wearing my wedding ring. Um, I found it. It was good. The move. It was where I thought it was. It was excellent. My way of explaining it is to, to, to just go back to the movie. Sorry, I always know where it is. It's good. I thought I'm giving the sermon today. Okay. Um, Lord of the Rings. Many of you have seen the movie. Many of you have read the books. And in, in that movie, it's built around, well, many things, but one of the themes is um, there's, there's a ring. And when that ring is put on, you see the events that are happening before you in a different way. When that ring is put on, you see what's happening in the spiritual world, very much grounded in the events in this world, and yet you see the impact of what's happening. And as you see the impact of what's happening, you become aware of what's happening at that same time. And so it changes, therefore, what you do in this world as you realise that what's happening has a significance that goes beyond the flesh and blood that you see you see that there are even more powerful forces at work. Which is true? Both. Things that are happening in this world, that is completely true, that is completely right, and also what is happening in the spiritual realm is entirely true as well. The one who has brought us brought us with the blood of his one and only son. He tells us that in this spiritual world, there is a battle that's going on. And the battle that's going on, it is for your heart and it is for your soul and it is for your salvation. It's for your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us in verse 13, what to do. For this reason, take up the full armour of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Verse 
And right here, I think it's absolutely fascinating. I glossed over it at first, but I came back to it and I, I, I realised the end point is not that we fight the war. When we think about war, we often think about having victory and defeating enemies. For us in this war, in this spiritual war, that, that, that's not the end point. The end point is that we still stand. And so I went searching for images, as I often do, and firstly I found this one. And this one, I liked it in many ways. In fact, I liked it, that's why I picked it, right? But then I thought more about what's happening here, and I thought to myself, right, this image, someone who's declaring victory. I thought, actually, no, Ephesians 6, that's not the kind of victory that it has in mind. A better image, is, I've been searching again, is the next one coming up. In this image, yes, the movie 1917, in this image, you see someone, you see a soldier who is exhausted, who is tired out, who is weary, who, who is on the front lines of the battle. And the image you have is, he's just glad to be alive. Friends, that is a better image for what Ephesians 6 is trying to teach us. The opportunity that we have is to remain standing when all of the battles are over. That is our victory. The day of evil, it's a metaphor for a battle. Over our lifetime, over each of our lifetimes, I suspect we're going to have several battles. A battle, it might last for a few moments, it might last for a day, it might last for a year. For some of you, I look around and I think you've been involved in a battle for several, several years. Sometimes I look around this room, I think you're involved in a battle. I've probably never talked to you about it. But I know it's happening. I thought to myself, if I can speak in generic ways, as I look around um, our church and our society, what are some of the areas in which I see these battles taking place? I've got three. The first one is one um, that I suspect is well, kind of more obvious, but I'm going to qualify it in a moment, and it is materialism. The way to think about this as I talk about these three, it's this. It's a question I've tried to probe with over the years. And the question I try to probe with to get our hearts and our minds thinking about this question is something like, if you were the evil one and you were trying to attack yourself, where would you attack it's a way of trying to get you to think about where might be the chink in your armour. We all have chinks in our armour when it comes to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're different for different people. Now, the generic categories, um, I just want to get us thinking about, and that's why I prayed that God will give you soft hearts today as I talk about this. The first one is materialism. It's the pursuit of material things. From materialism arises, and the Bible talks about some of these, and I've added some of these, from materialism arise, arises jealousy, greed, careerism, discontentment, and it feeds a whole range of other things. And what it does, you, you're chasing having something that you see and that you want, and along that journey it means you don't do this or you do this, that then means you can't do that, or you're pursuing this, or you work harder, or you... You know, for example, the, end, the cycle of endless house renovations. I'm not talking about the one-off kind of house renovations. I'm talking about the endless cycle that some people in our society get caught up with. It means you adopt um, working so much that means you can't do X, Y and Z. You can't nurture your Christian life in certain ways. 
You're not as regular to a growth group. You, and the list goes on. Because in your heart, you're chasing something. The way I see it manifest itself for younger people is particularly with gadgets. And many of you, you have that reaction, right? You look at the latest phone someone has and you know how much they're paying for that phone and you look at the choices people make with their money that mean they do X but not Y. And for all of us, it's... That's the first one. But church, I think that first one has now been usurped by something else. Not just among us, but more generally. I think you see it at Christmas. Um, Last few years I've noticed articles around Christmas and they talk about how the gifts that people give have now shifted from things to what? Experiences. It's the category, the broad category of hedonism. I was talking to someone after church this morning and they suggested maybe it should be called um, experientialism, that is experiencing things. Um, here's a picture, some of those might appeal to you, the skydiving doesn't appeal to me in the slightest, but maybe it does to you. Often we think of hedonism in the category of sexual pleasure, and that might well be true, but I want to talk about it in a far more, um, uh, in a broader sense. It's chasing experiences that bring us enjoyment or pleasure. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm all for you know, resting in this world, that's the biblical model. I'm not talking about the one-off thing, I'm talking about the relentless pursuit. That means you do X but not Y. And when you do X but not Y, well, there's then flow-on consequences as well. Longing for and investing in a particular lifestyle has consequences. But thirdly, the thing that's out there that I think impacts us all far more, it's apathy. If I was the evil one, this is the one I would use in the Western world. That is, I would try to make as many people as possible think there's not even a battle that's happening. And what happens when when, when that happens is our eyes are taken off the battle, our eyes are taken off the things the word of God says here to be prepared and, and to defend ourselves with. And the way um, I'm, I'm going to explain it, I had a request from someone named John Flood that, um, to talk about the dumpster. So let me talk about the dumpster because I've been moving this week. And what do you need when you move? Boxes. On this occasion, we paid for boxes. 20 years ago, though, we didn't pay for boxes. I was working at a manufacturing plant Um, a vitamin company, I went out the back to the people on the factory floor, I said, guys, I need boxes, I'm moving house, can you help? They said, Raj, go out the back, take your car there, knock your socks off. I pulled up alongside a dumpster that looked very much like this, it was full of boxes. I looked at that and I smiled and I thought, this is box heaven. All the boxes I want, shape, size, it was great. I went into this dumpster, it had a door that opened, very much like this one. I had a door that opened, I walked inside, into the dumpster, and I just started tossing the boxes out over the side right next to my car. It was absolutely perfect. And I was enjoying myself. Gust of wind came, you know what the gust of wind did? The door was slammed shut at the back. 
For a moment, I tried to push the door open. Wouldn't open. I thought, oh, don't worry about that. This is box seven. I went back. I kept tossing the boxes over the side. And when all of the boxes were almost out, you know what I realised? This was a two-metre deep kind of, you know, dump stuff. And it just dawned on me, how am I going to get out? And it occurred to me, I was so fixated on getting these boxes, a short-term thing, that I lost perspective. This was five o'clock, one Friday afternoon. And you know what the case is at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon on a factory site? No one else is there. It was deserted. I couldn't open the door. And I realised I got myself into... It was entirely my fault. I got myself into this situation. I was entirely fixated on the short term and I lost perspective about what was really important. Now, clearly I got out. I'm here, right? (laughs) Do you see my point? Now, if I was the evil one and I was trying to dislodge you from having your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of your salvation, what I would do, I would try to find where is the chink in your armour? Where is the chink in your armour? And so I'd think about Kristen and I'd think about where is she susceptible to, and I'd I'd experiment. I have the opportunity, right? I'd fire some harmless arrows, and I'd see, well, where is it that she just... Where's there an opening? Then over time, I'd try to fire some more specific ones and just see what's the reaction that's going to dislodge the place of the word of God from her life, separate her a bit from Christian community. Then I'll just refine them a bit more. Where is the... We all have them. That's what I would do. Folks, having the full armour of God, it means we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. It's interesting here, Ephesians 6, most of the armour that's talked about here, it's defensive armour. It's a brilliant image of a soldier who's ready for battle, not a soldier who's just enjoying themselves in this world. It's a soldier who's ready for battle. And it, the image is given so that we might learn how to stand firm and be strong in the Lord. And we read these verses. It talks about, um, they're going to come up on the screen now, these different things that it talks about. If you know the truth of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, you speak truthfully. By putting on God's righteousness, we are committed to displaying righteousness ourselves. If we have embraced the gospel of peace, that gives us strength to stand firm. Having faith in the Lord Jesus is how God's mighty power is appropriated to us. The more we understand our salvation and the more we live in the light of our salvation and it then forms part of the armour that defends us from the attacks that come. It talks about defensive things. It has this brilliant image of um, soldiers drenching their, their, their shields in water, which they would do from time to time, and then holding them up so that when the flaming arrows came and crashed into the wet shield, they would be extinguished. I just think it's a brilliant image of soaking ourselves in these very things, truth, righteousness, gospel of peace, shield of faith, and so on. 
so that we're ready for what may come our way. The last implement, I find this fascinating, the last implement and the only one that is an offensive weapon is a sword. Now, in the text, someone tell me, what is described as a sword? The word of God. The only thing that's talked about in the offensive category is the word of God. And folks, I I myself was convicted and challenged on this because as I was looking at this, I realised too often I back down from speaking the word of God. Sometimes that happens personally in people's lives. Sometimes that happens even as I preach. And my thought process then went, how the devil must hate it when the gospel is proclaimed. For through it, God can intervene across enemy lines and it's the way in which God works to pluck someone and rescue them from across enemy lines and bring them into the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my thought process then went to the next kind of point. If the word of God is so powerful, why is it that I don't use it more? And where I ended up was thinking to myself, could it be that I keep forgetting about the battle that I'm in? That's my thought process. I wonder how how you resonate with that. Because the full armour of God, it is a picture of a Christian. It's a Christian who knows the salvation of God through Jesus. It's a Christian whose life has been tangibly transformed by this gospel in action and in word. It's a Christian whose, whose heart rests in the hope of the victory that God will have. But the challenge isn't over. Verse 18, I think, increases the challenge stakes. Verse 18 says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Isn't it fascinating? It's talking here about a spiritual battle and it has such a focus on prayer. I've highlighted certain words. All I've done on the screen is just, you know, really paste in that verse, but highlight certain words. Words that push us toward prayer being something that should um, uh, be so much part of the life of a Christian, both individually and corporately as we help one another survive this battle and engage in this battle. And remember the end? Stand firm at the end of the battle. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. It's so striking. And friends, I read this and I thought to myself, I feel like here is one of my failings over the last 14 years at this church. Not for one of trying. There was one prayer meeting, corporate prayer meeting we had down here and I remember 70 people turned up and um, that week I was so excited that 70 people turned up. We had a fantastic time praying to God in exactly that way that was up on the screen a moment ago. Um, and, and 
I remember being talking to someone a few days later and they said to me, I was talking about how wonderful it was, they said to me, Raj, it totally was wonderful that so many people came. But did you realise, um, I wonder if a lot of people came because you spoke about it so strongly on Sunday. I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, you didn't actually say this, but you spoke about it so passionately and so strongly about the importance of prayer in the Christian life. It was almost like, and you didn't say this, but it was almost like, it felt like, and you didn't say this, so what, what, what didn't I say? And they said, it was almost like if you didn't come, you weren't a Christian. And I just found myself thinking, and I reflect on this now, and I think, why isn't prayer more part, more a normal part of the Christian life? Why isn't a desire to be at prayer meetings without such prompting just part of what we do as a Christian community? Why is it that it's so easy for us to prioritise other good things above the few opportunities that we set up to come together and pray. I'll leave that with you to ponder. For Paul, prayer is foundational for his ministry. And for those among you who pray for me, can I ask, or can I thank you that you pray for me? Can I ask that you keep praying for me? And if you're wanting to know what you can do for the future of, the, of this church, can I suggest the best thing you can do, even now, is to pray for whoever the next lead pastor will be? At whatever point in time you know who they are, no one knows who they are at the moment, God knows then you can pray for them by name. It's so foundational for the Christian leader. Folks, there's defensive armour. There's offensive armour, which is the word of God. There's prayer. All are made explicit when it comes to engaging in the battle. And friends, before I I finish up uh, today, I just can't help wonder... If Ephesians 6 was being written today, if there's another aspect uh, that's talked about elsewhere in the Bible that I think is lurking below here as well, I think I wonder if there's another aspect of Christian life that would be made more explicit as being part of what helps us in this battle to stand firm at the end. And that is the place of Christian community in the local church. A friend of mine did some research and found that people think they are at church more often than they actually are, by 15%. He quantified it. It was a fascinating study. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing magical about being at church in itself or in your growth group. There's nothing, you know, um, nothing magical in itself. But, and I, I want us to put COVID issues aside for the time being. What it represents is some objective measure as to how engaged you are in your Christian community. 
your Christian community, your local church and your growth group, that's how we've tried to kind of set things up. It helps you going in the battle. The role is to help to encourage one another toward love and good deeds. And the way that works is you get shaped by the word of God, even the bits that your heart doesn't want to hear, especially the bits that your heart doesn't want to hear. That's why God has put leaders in the church to be faithful to the word of God, to preach both the bits we love hearing like the grace of God that forgives us, but also some of the the harder bits like living in this sinful world, in this messy world. But it's not just that. It also means that you guys encourage each other It's part of the good gift that God has given Christians today to keep going in this battle. And I just want to encourage you guys, underlying or connected with all of this, it helps you be part of the body of Christ. It helps us at this church, the way we formulate it is, it helps us work together to help ordinary people encounter the extraordinary God. It helps us know that we exist in this messy world together. It forces us to connect with people, both the people we get on well with, but also the people that, well, we might not gel with. That remind us of the grace of God where Jesus came into this world and gave his life for us, no matter who we are, so that we might be reconciled to him and to each other, as Ephesians 2 talks about. And so I want to encourage you. I look around this room, I think all of you are very much part of this church, at least on paper. How's that going? In your heart? The components the Lord has given us to engage in the battle, the defensive armour, the offensive armour, prayer, And the way I've tried to put it up on the screen, our local Christian community plays a huge part. Friends, let me sum up in this way. Remember that probing question I have from time to time? Where is the chink in your armour? If you were the evil one, and I put it like that because you know what happens in your heart, if you were the evil one, and you were trying to bring yourself undone from clinging to the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for you, where would you attack? Where would you start firing those harmless arrows at first? Sharpen them up over time. And either have one fatal blow as happens from time to time or just keep them coming over a period of time. In fact, the way I put it's not even quite right, is it? I said, where are the arrows floating around? That's not quite right. Because we're in a battle and when you're in a battle, the evil one, he, he, he's looking for you. He sees someone's looking at you at the moment, Brad, so I'll just pick on you. He sees Brad over there. And he thinks to himself, it's strategic, it's deliberate, it's intentional. How am I going to unseat Brad from the Lord Jesus Christ? And exactly the same is true for every single one 
of us. Is it the battle of the arrow of apathy? Can you see the evil one firing that arrow? <laughs> There's no battle. Life is so good. Some of you have heard me talk about my, my friends from South Africa who come to Australia from time to time and get into this conversation, and, and where it ends up is this. They say, you guys in Sydney, Australia, life is so good. It means you have nothing to long for when the Lord Jesus returns. It means your eyes are not focused on the battle that's going on. Your eyes are taken off the picture. In South Africa, we are reminded of this sinful world all around us every day in so many ways. And it means we long for the world to come. Is it a battle of apathy? Or is it one of the others? <laughs> Materialism? <laughs> Hedonism? Lifestyle? Or is it something else? Where is the chink in your armour? Where would you attack yourself?